Good morning. Uh, why don't we stand uh, to read God's word, if you'll stand with me, uh, and turn to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. When you got to say, I got it. I was like four people, so I'm awake. Thank you. And it'll be on the screen. Uh, this is God's word. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. But a person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. That's God's word. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word, God. We, we thank you, God, that when we go to your word, we, we get to hear from you clearly. You speak clearly. Uh, Father, we thank you for that, God, and we pray that as we hear what you said clearly, Lord, that you would uh, work it in our hearts, God. Show us what you're like. Show us who we are. Show us how to respond to you, Father. Uh, and we pray that, uh, yeah, as we, as we uh, leave, Father, that Jesus would be exalted, Lord, and we'd be more like him. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I'm sure most of us have heard people say this phrase right here, that many hands make light work. You ever heard anybody say that? Yeah. Um, you might think it's in the Bible. It's not. It sounds bible but it's not in the Bible. Many hands make light work. And it's generally true um, that when more people help with something, it makes the work a lot easier. Um, but there's sometimes when people come and help, and it would have been easier if you just did it by yourself. Uh, so there's some things that, yeah, other people helping helps, like moving. So if you can get people to agree, that's one of the ways you know if somebody really loves you, if they'll help you move. If you can get people to come and help you, it helps because people can help list stuff. But have you ever been lifting something and like too many people are trying to help? Like, do we need four dudes on each side to carry this chair? I don't think so. Uh, there's sometimes when you get more help than you need. But here's the thing. Help uh, makes things easier, but you need the right kind of help, right? So I don't need dudes to come help me move who are not going to pay attention or who have no muscles. I need muscles for this tag. Or, you know, like uh, Richard and Mo have never asked me to help with a barbecue. Uh, because if I did help, stuff would get burned down and the food would be terrible. So I, I'm not the right helper for that. Tanner's never asked me to help him build anything because I can't build anything. I could build trust. I could build relationships. <laughs> can't build stuff. You don't want me to build anything that you're going to stand near. Uh, one of the things about help is you need the right kinds of helpers if it's actually going to make something easier. Uh, so when it comes to something like building a personal relationship with the God who created you, Sometimes it can seem like that's one of those things that would have been easy if you could have just done on your own. Because the only people we have to choose from to help us pursue God is other sinners. All right, so sometimes it's one of those things where you think, man, this would have been easier if I just did this on my own. 
like John said today, the, the, the objection we're, we're thinking about is I don't need organized religion. And you don't have to try very hard or look very far to find people with critical statements about organized religion. So we're, we're going to read some of those. Um, and, and before I read them, I'll say this. Um, it is already hard to pursue a personal relationship with God. There's already so many things that make it difficult. Um, we have to figure out who God is in order to pursue him. We have busy lives. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. Sometimes we're in dark stages of our life where we feel like it's hard for us to pursue him how we want to. Sometimes it's hard to pursue God when you're just trying to pay the bills, right? It's hard, enough on our own. And what's going to happen when you throw other people in the mix? When you throw other sinners in the mix, it gets harder in some way. I'm going to read some of these quotes from people who have opinions on organized religion. They'll be on the screen. I'll read them one by one. One of the greatest tragedies in mankind's entire history may be that morality was hijacked by religion. Next one says this. Religion is, because it claims a special divine exemption for its practices and beliefs, not just amoral, but immoral. Christopher Hitchens said that. The next one. Religion poisons everything. Also Christopher Hitchens. Uh, that's like the title of one of his books. He feels strongly about this. Last one. Every day people are straying away from the church and going back to God. Now if you read through all these quotes and a bunch of other quotes I read on organized religion, one of the common denominators uh, is not only that people uh, have issues with organized religion, but also that they think the same thing is wrong. All of them are basically saying this thing isn't the problem, organized religion is the problem. So morality isn't the problem, organized religion is the problem. Or people aren't the problem, organized religion is the problem. And for some of these writers, God isn't the problem, uh, organized religion is the problem. That's what they all agree on. And one of my questions is, is that true? Is organized religion the main problem? Um, I'll tell you what is true, at, at least. Organized religion has problems. A lot of the worst events or seasons in history that we can think about were motivated by or at least approved of by organized religion. Worst terrorist attack that people often think of, 9-11, that was fueled by corrupt organized religion. So you think about the Crusades, fueled by organized religion. You think about slavery, fueled by and approved by a lot of people within organized religion. So you can understand why people have a negative bias against it, and for most of us, we don't have to uh, look at history to find ways that we've seen issues with organized religion. Some of us limped into these doors right now because of church hurt. Now, some of us haven't been to another church building in a long time because we've been hurt by church people. I don't know about y'all, but you know, when I invite people to church, and people don't want to, the reasons are not usually uh, doctrinal. It's not some disagreements about who God is normally. At least not the thing that's foremost on people's minds. It's not asking questions about what we believe about baptism. It's often because the church hurt. It's often because they've seen how religious people act. They saw a pastor who talked a lot but lived in an entirely different way Organized religion does have problems, and here's why that matters, because people need to know God, 
right? And so, and so how people to know how to respond to him, who he is, where they're supposed to go, where, who are they supposed to ask about who God is. And our culture right now is very allergic to organized religion. If you look at stats, there are more nuns than there ever were when people ask what religion you are. There are more people who say none. They have no religion, and it's partly because of this, uh, yeah, the way people see organized religion altogether. And so what should people do if they want to know God? Should they just go off and pursue it on their own? When you get other people in the mix, it's hard enough. I should just go do this on my own, and I'm going to go ahead and disagree with that. But you're probably not surprised by it because I'm a pastor. Uh, usually not a good idea to invite people somewhere and be like, this all is terrible, right? So that's not what I'm doing right now. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the best thing for you to do to pursue God is to go off on your own. And here's why. A central part of your relationship with God is your relationship with other people that God created. Uh, you can't run to God and away from God's people at the same time. That's just not how this works. And, 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 and that'll be the, the main thing we're going to be thinking about. You cannot run to God and away from God's people at the same time. It, it's part of it. So we're going to read that passage again in a moment in 1 John 4. And, and here's why I want to read that passage again, because it's easy to, to dismiss the idea of church as long as we think it was a man's idea. But this is God's idea. So, you know, dismissing it is a little harder if God said it. You can disagree with me, but if God has spoken, uh, then we want to listen to what he says. Um, quick background on 1 John. Uh, John the Apostle, um, some of you may remember, is one of Jesus' best friends. He was in the inner circle. Right, Peter, James, and John, the people that Jesus had a special close relationship to. He also wrote the Gospel of John. And so when, when, when the Apostle John writes in his letters, you get the feeling this is not like random theoretical stuff. I mean, he remembers stuff that Jesus said. And when he talks about what Jesus tells us to do, uh, I mean, you can hear him basically saying, like Jesus told us, I was there, I heard him say it, that when he's referring to what Christ has to say. So I'm going to read First John 4.20 again. And right here, this is a whole discussion about how we know that we know God, how we know that we're of the Father, how we know we're in his family. First John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. John wants us to know right away, uh, the way you interact with God has something to do with how you interact with other people. That your personal relationship with God doesn't exist in a vacuum or in isolation, you can't have a new relationship with God without having a new relationship with others. So I've used this illustration before. If you're saying you're in God's family, uh, imagine there's a family that already has kids and you get adopted by that family. Well, you not only have a new parent or parents, but you also have new siblings. And it's like that in God's family that what happened with the gospel, when we trust Jesus, we don't just have a personal identity change, we also have a corporate identity change. It's not just the you change, you're also a part of a new group of people who've all been changed. Right? We're adopted into this family of a church, we're now part of a whole. And so God is telling us then that we cannot run after him and run away from his people at the same time. But it's still common for people to say stuff like, I love God, but not church folks. And uh, even Gandhi said, I love uh, or I don't like Christians. I like Christ, but I don't so much like Christians. And so why do, we, why do people say that? And mostly because we've seen some of the stuff we talked about. 
messy church folks, but John doesn't really give us space to do that in his text. He says, if we love God yet hate our brother's sister, we're liars. Those are bold words. Liar. If you don't call somebody a liar, you better be able to back that up. You don't just throw that around randomly. Um, and some of us will say this. We feel like we're off the hook because we like, I have not declared my hatred for anybody this past week. I'm doing good. Right? When we think hate, we're like, man, I've had, I didn't, when I see them, I don't even foam at the mouth. That's not even how this works. But in this context, when he's talking about hatred, he's not just talking about foaming at the mouth or just getting really angry and gritting your teeth at somebody. Um, he, he's talking about uh, the, one of the examples he uses is your brother uh, is in need, right? And it's basically out in the cold. And you have everything you need, but you don't give him anything. So that the kind of hatred he's talking about is contrasted with the kind of love that he's talking about. A holy affection for someone and a selfless commitment to their good. So if love is a commitment to somebody's good, then the hatred on the other side is not really caring much about their good. Not seeking their good. Right? So the hatred he's talking about could really just be cold indifference. The hatred he's talking about could really just be, I don't like church folks. They slow me down, so I don't really want anything to do with them. That kind of apathy is the hate that he's talking about. If love is seeking someone's good, hate is seeking their evil or being indifferent to their good. But for some reason, one of the reasons we don't like to, to think about this organized religion and our personal relationship with God is because we think uh, if we pursue God with other people, it's going to mess up us pursuing God. You're right, I don't need the church because I have a personal relationship with God. And so I understand that reason. And if I have a personal relationship with God, I don't have to come all in the same room with other people in order to have it. But let me, let me tell you what we're doing when we, when we do that. This would be like, um, this would be like it, you know, in your family, right? Um, say you grew up nice with your dad and with your mom and with your siblings. And say y'all even had nice dinners together every night. Right, and you love your dad. You say, I have a great personal relationship with him. Because I have a personal relationship with you, dad, I cannot come to family dinner anymore. Not coming to family dinner. The only way I can relate to you is one-on-one. If I have to relate to you around other people, that just gets in the way of what we got, dad. I don't need all them other people around. I don't believe in organized families. It's just you and me. One of the obvious problems with that is, um, if, if your dad invited you to dinner and you're saying you love your dad, why would you refuse the invitation? Not only that, you know, it, it would also harm your relationships with your siblings, who after a while would probably wonder why you despise them so much. Right? Who would probably wonder, why is it that you feel like you can't relate to dad if I'm around? What is it about me that keeps you from getting to know dad? Refusing dad's dinner invitation doesn't strengthen your relationship with your dad. It hurts your relationship with your dad. Especially if he said, this is one of the main ways I want to relate to you. And I cooked you dinner and you didn't come. Uh, Forsaking the church is denying God's dinner invitation over and over and over and over again. Uh, Where God does, serve a meal in his word. Where we do gather together around him and feast. Where we all are part of a family. And what God has said, you don't only relate to me one-on-one, you also relate to me together. Again, we want to let ourselves off the hook, though. We want to say, okay, but that's, that's fine. I agree. I would never say I don't need organized religion or I don't need 
the church. I've never said those words, but we say with our actions all the time. There are members of this church, all of us at points, who will say this with our actions but not our words. One of the ways is not prioritizing showing up at our main gathering together. Right? There's sometimes when, um, you know, it could just be a, a busy season and, and we're tired a lot, and it's fine for us to, to miss a Sunday sometimes. But there is a thing where sometimes we don't prioritize gathering with God's people because we don't really think it's that important. We're like, no, no, I still got my personal thing with God. Just because I don't show up there, that, that doesn't really have any bearing on that. And what we're doing is we're making this weird division between how we relate to God and one of the ways he's told us to relate to him. Right? We can't do that. Another way we, we say, I don't really need the church, is by never seeking counsel on anything where God has given us his people to help us make good decisions about our lives, and we're like, no, 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 I can make all my decisions on my own. It's like, hey, um, I know uh, that I got like seven kids, but I decided I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm just going to go to Mars. Um, I will probably die, but it's going to be dope. And, and I would probably be like, wish you would have talked to me about this beforehand so we could talk it through. Now, there's so many times when we're trying to figure out what we should do. We're thinking through tough stuff, and God has given us his people to help us figure it out. And what we say when we refuse to ever bring anybody into our life, into our thoughts and decision-making, we're saying, I don't need the church. I know you've given me these people, God. I don't need the church. Another way we say I don't need the church is when, you know, we, we prioritize listening to podcasts more than sermons at our church. Here's one of the things about podcasts. Um, there are people who are better preachers than us, and you just listen to their sermons all the time. And what we can do is think, as long as I hear a good sermon, it's all good. But what we're saying is, I don't really need the church. I just need to hear truth. Whereas God has said, there is something particular and helpful and good for your soul to sit under teaching within a community of believers that you're a part of. We can say, I don't need the church without saying, I don't need the church. I already got friendships. I don't need to build any. We're saying, I don't need the church. You can't run to God and away from his people at the same time. But maybe you still not buying in, though. You still don't believe John. So John gives us two reasons we can't love God without loving his people. I need to specify Apostle John because I feel like I'm talking about you. I do so. uh, the Apostle John, the, the good one, the, <laughs> the one you should always listen to. No, I'm sorry. Now, he gives us two reasons uh, why we can't. Uh, run to God and away from his people at the same time. First reason is it's impossible. The first thing is like, it just doesn't make sense. It's illogical. It's impossible. He says, for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He's just arguing from obvious logic and trying to call out bluff and, and saying your claims to love God fall short. It's like when I asked my dad for a dog growing up, um, my dad would not let us have any pets, I, you know, and I'm not going to lie, I'm bitter about this to this day. Um, no pets, no dogs, no cat, not that I would want a cat, maybe I would accept it after I couldn't get anything else. One time we were near a pet store, and I was like, Dad, uh, these fish are, are uh, like 15 cents, and I know I'm broke, but I can afford that. Can I just buy these fish? No. And I'm like, well, why are you doing this? And so, you know, from time to time, I go to my friend's house, they got a dog, I'm like, these animals are smart and enjoyable. Dad, can I get a dog? And he would say, I don't want to add taking care of a dog to taking care of y'all. And I'm like, no, 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 I'll take care of it. 
and he laughs in my face. <laughs> he doesn't believe me. And I'm like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? I'll take care of it. I'm giving you my word. He continues to laugh in my face. And, and here's why. Um, because he can just look at my life. How, how do I treat, how do I take care of the stuff that is actually mine right now? It's not a lot, my room, my, my clothes, my toys. Uh, at any moment, you can just take a quick look, toys all over the place, have broke uh, piles of underwear in my room. You know, there's all stuff that I'm not taking care of. And so here's what he's saying. Hey, you have the stuff that's yours right now that's right in front of you, and I've seen you're not taking care of it. How could you possibly try to claim that you would take care of this dog? None of that stuff even runs away from you and pees. How could you possibly <laughs> try to act like that's a much easier thing? How could you try to act like you would take care of this dog? John is doing the same thing. John is saying, how is it that you're saying that you love God who you cannot see? Much more abstract and difficult to think about how to love God at times. But you won't love your brothers and sisters in your faith. If there's someone in your face who has needs, who's your brother or sister, that you don't love. John is calling our bluff with that same kind of logic. It's easier, more tangible to love a person that's in their face. It's an easier concept to grasp. And not only that, those acts of love for others are not separate from our loving God. It's how we love God sometimes. So it's not like, let me love some of my brothers and sisters and then I'll go love God. Often, the way that you love God is by loving your brothers and sisters. We'll talk more about that in a second, but I want to say this. There's some implications about this that should challenge our assumptions about love. One of them is, you know, love is a, is, a, is a disposition of the heart. It's a posture, their actions, and it's not something that just shows up for God. It also shows up for people that God has created in his image and in a special way for the other ones in God's family. So some of us try to say, I like to read theology books and think deep thoughts about God, therefore I love God. John is saying, you don't love other people, so you don't love God. You can read books all you want to. I don't believe you. When I see your love for other people God has created, and specifically your brothers and sisters who you have a special responsibility to, then we can talk about your love for God. Uh, part of the reason we think we can love God and his people is we misunderstand love. We think it's a thing that we can just turn on and turn off. Love is something that God creates in our heart and in our souls that overflows into all areas of our life. Right? The, the Christian who's becoming more like God, who's loving God, who's, who's, who, who love is welling up in us, it's not a thing we just turn on and off at random times. It's something that God creates in us, and so that love that, that's there for God would also be for others as we seek their good. Uh, a lack of love for people shows a lack of love for God. So here's a question I have for you. When you say you love God, what do you mean? You know, if I asked you, do you love God, what would you say? And if I asked you, well, how do you know? Hey, did you love God last week? How, how do you know? One of the ways John is telling us to look is to see if we've loved his people. Um, you know, if you say you love me, but you couldn't care less about my family or what happened to them, I'm probably not going to believe you either. So um, I, I've told you all this story before, but um, it was a couple years ago, so it's basically like it never happened. Um, when I was in D.C., I went on tour. Uh, my, my son, Q, he was 
six months old and four months old. Um, he was four months old, and, and we go on the road, and basically uh, his skin flares up like crazy, and he ends up in the hospital. He has this crazy high fever. We're really worried. And here's what happens. Not only am I on the road, but we get stuck in the snow in Nevada somewhere in our tour bus, and so it's going to take me even longer to get home. And one of the hardest things, and as a father who's there to love and provide and protect my family, I can't, I can't get to him. There's nothing I can do. I can't cancel the show and fly home. There's nothing I can do. And one of the um, most encouraging things was that God's people, the, the church we were part of, surround my wife. You have people who are in the hospital with her at all times. You have people, you know, um, you can't sleep with, a, with them in your hand in a, in a hospital. So you have people coming, staying up all night, holding the baby so that my wife can get some sleep. And let me tell you, I walk away from that situation feeling like, man, um, we have actual family here. And then... I didn't just think when that happened, oh, they love my family. I also thought they love me. Now, why would I think that they love me, even though it wasn't me they were holding in their arms? It wasn't me that they allowed to sleep. It was my family. Because one of the ways that we show love for God is the way that we love his people. One of the ways they showed their love for me was the way that they loved my family. You cannot tell God you love him. And ignore his family. And someone had texted me. They said, hey, Trip, love you, bro. And I was like, hey, um, my son's sick in the hospital. Can you go visit them? Nah, busy. Love you, though. <laughs> if I was there, I'd give you a hug. <laughs> I don't need your hugs. My, my family. Help take care of my family. And we can go on and on. But this is what we do to God. Love you, God. My family's right there in need. Show me you love me by loving my family. Can't pursue God and flee his people at the same time. John gives us a, the, the second reason um, that we can't pursue God and flee his people. Number two, Jesus commands it. Pretty simple. Jesus has already weighed in on this. All right, so some of us are like, yeah, it sounds nice, but again, I just want to do my own personal thing. So here's the trump card. Jesus said it. I win. No, but um, if we think about then following Jesus and what following Jesus looks like, uh, Jesus will set the term. If our relationship is with God, he gets to tell us what the relationship should look like. So, you know, you don't need the church if your goal is just self-help or empowerment or just feeling good. But if your goals are actually God's goals, if what you're saying you are really after is a personal relationship with God and to live the way you were created to live, then we need God's word on what that means. Verse 21, and we have this command from him, that's Jesus, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. John saying this is what Jesus told us to do. Not, not only should, it's not, he's not only saying if you love God you should, he's saying must love your brother and sister. And here's why this matters, that Jesus said this. Um, because people talk about Christianity as if Jesus just wanted us to be nice people, uh, but then his followers over the next 2,000 years made up all the church stuff because we like organized religion. There were some people who uh, didn't like this organization, so they just wanted to organize it. But Jesus wasn't really about all of that stuff. He just wants us to be nice to people. An article I read summed up the point of view well. It said this, While it seems popular to think Jesus came to build an army of sorts for God, 
and then to organize his followers to build him an empire on earth, I personally don't subscribe to such a concept. In fact, I think Christ came to do the opposite. I believe he came to end empire thinking and bring each of us back to a personal, individual experience of God. What do y'all think about that? You know, what I, what I do agree with is uh, Jesus didn't call us to build an empire for him. Right? So where you see Christians who seem to be just wanting to just stack up worldly power, wealth, empires, oppressing others in the name of Jesus, that's a lie. Jesus didn't tell them to do that. They just wanted to do that. But uh, Jesus did come to build an army of sorts. Jesus did intend to organize his followers. We want to separate believing in Jesus um, from believing in the way that Jesus told us to follow him. I mean, it's another thing that this guy says in an article. And I think well-meaning and seeking and trying to ask these questions. But he's saying, look, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in all the other stuff about Christianity. And we, and we just can't do that. So here's one of the things I want to say. When you think Christianity, the word Christianity is not in the Bible, but they do call some of these first followers of Jesus Christians, like little Christs. Um, we shouldn't think about Christian industry. We shouldn't think about gospel music industry, the Christian music industry, celebrity pastors or Christian reality shows. Don't even necessarily just think about that one church that lets you down. Think about the body of believers in Jesus. That's what the church is. Those who've been called by Jesus, who believe in Jesus uh, everywhere at all times. That's the universal church and the local church is a particular body of believers who committed to each other who baptized take the lord's supper believe in jesus and gather around him the less we think of this big abstract thing where people have done bad things at bad times and the more we think specifically what scripture is talking about uh, the better it'll be for us and when we begin to say jesus doesn't really care about the church we ignore stuff like the passage we read earlier in matthew 18 where jesus seems to feel pretty strongly about the church. Matthew 16, 18. Right, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Tell me Jesus isn't concerned with the church. When he's saying, I'm building this thing, and the gates of Hades won't overpower it. Jesus cares about the church. And so when John is talking about loving one another, he's not talking about just some random love. So again, we'll let ourselves off the hook and be like, nah, bro, I saw a Christian the other day, and I dapped him up. Like, no, my mom's a Christian. I just texted this morning. He's not talking about a random kind of love. He's talking about th this context to what this love looks like. The Bible gives context guidelines for what it's supposed to look like. And we cannot tell God, I love your people, just not the way you told me to. Right? God has told us how to love his people. So we can't say, I don't really want the church. Even though you said, Jesus, you're building it and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. I don't really want it. That's like saying, I want to pursue an NBA finals championship, but I'm not really down with teams. The whole team thing, I it doesn't really vibe with me. But I'm going to go get this championship, and it's like, that's not how this works. That, that's not something you can do. This is a, a team sport. And so we're saying, I want to love God, pursue God. Christianity is a team sport. Following Jesus is a team sport. 
and it's something we have to do together. I mean, even if you just think about some of the commands the Bible gives us, it's impossible for these to work if it's just only about your personal relationship with Jesus. What Jesus is, was saying, the way they'll know who my disciples are is your love for one another. Who's this one another he's talking about? Bear one another's burdens. Who are these one another's? Rejoice with one another. Who are these one another's? Right? Gently correct your brother. Who, who, who are these brothers he's talking about? All of this commitment to one another and love for one another, none of this can happen uh, in isolation. He's telling us to teach one another. He's telling us to submit to our leaders. All of this has to happen uh, within a context, and Scripture has given us that. So, so I want to say this. We sort of think about organized religion. Um, you know, all the stuff I said about organized religion is, is true. I mean, it, there's been lots of terrible things that have happened, and there's plenty of critique, plenty of helpful critique to go around. I want to read to you um, in, in the... Uh, Narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass is pretty hard on Christians uh, because there were some Christians who owned him. He even said, you know, if I ever end up somewhere else, I don't want to, the worst thing would be for me to be a slave of a Christian. And so then at the end, though, he's like, you know, I understand I was hard on religion. And let me be clear. This is what he says. It's not on the screen, so you'll just have to listen closely. He said, I find since reading over the foregoing narrative that I have in several instances spoken in such a tone and manner respecting religion as may possibly lead those who don't know my religious views to think I oppose all religion. Well, to make sure they don't misunderstand me, I think it's proper uh, to give this explanation. What I've said against religion, I mean strictly to apply to the slaveholding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper. For between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity. To reject the other is bad, corrupt, and wicked. You can't say one is good and the other's good. They're so different that one has to be bad and the other good. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Frederick Douglass is able to see with clarity all the issues. He's able to point out all the issues and at the same time say that's not what Jesus died to build. That Jesus is after something entirely different. Frederick Douglass isn't even saying, let's throw out Christianity altogether and make up a new way, assuming we're wiser than Jesus. He's saying, let's separate the false from the real. Let's look at what Jesus actually said, and let's run after that. And everything else, let's call it out for what it is and run away from it. So my encouragement is, if there's corrupt, organized religion, by all means, flee from that. But what Jesus has called us to, we can't chase after him. And run after that at the same time. So here's some encouragement for us then. People have seen all these bad pictures of organized religion and of churches. What we want to do is pay close attention to what Jesus has called the church to be. And we want to strive for that. We want to ask Jesus to help us do that better. Right? We, you know, when, when we see that people think of Christians as self-righteous and hypocritical, we want to understand that our righteousness isn't in us, but it's in Jesus. And so there is no self-righteousness, and we want to be different than that. 
Right? We, we want to repent in front of other people. We don't want to pretend like we're perfect. That's part of why people think we're all hypocrites. We want to be clear. I'm not perfect. Right? We, we want to live in a way that shows people what Jesus actually died to build. And we're not going to be perfect. There are going to be people who come in these doors and spend time among us, and one of us will interact with them in a way that doesn't honor Jesus. And what we're called to do is to help each other to look more like him so that we as a family can look more like Jesus. When author said this, there's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because there's sin in the church. But there's no other place to be a Christian. Scripture doesn't assume Christianity and the church are totally opposite things. Scripture saying we can't run to God and away from his people at the same time. So because so many people show up in churches, they leave hurt, how do we want them to pursue a personal relationship with God? And how, how do we pursue our personal relationship with God? And I'll say this, what is the problem and why is there so much of this stuff? Um, there is something common in all organized religion that I think is why we see all of these issues. And it's not organized religion itself. Uh, something that's present in all of them, every organization, every place, is people. This is the common denominator. It's people, Right? Everywhere we go, there's people. So this is why people use all organizations and all things for evil things sometimes. And I don't know if you know this, you're a person. You're one of these people. We have sin issues. And here's the thing. Here's why I want to point out that um, uh, organized religion isn't the main problem. Because when we have a bad diagnosis, we have a bad solution. When we think that's the problem, we think, so I need to get away from our organized religion. That's not the main problem. Sin is the main problem. We are the problem. Here's the thing, we will think, you know what, all these sinful people make it hard for me to pursue God. Let me just get away from them and do it by myself. How are you going to get away from you? Now, we're always thinking about all the sinners out there that are making it hard to pursue God. What about the sinner in here that's making it hard to pursue God? What, what is it about getting completely away from everybody else and just being by self that makes us think, that's where I really meet God because I'm perfect and you... We all know that we're not. We've seen this time and time again. So, so here's the thing. Because the problem is sin and not organized religion, the solution also isn't just organized religion. Organized religion isn't the main problem, and it's also not the main solution. Sin is the main problem. You can't just show up to any group of people and that's going to do something about that. We don't just need a random group of people. We need a savior. We need someone who can do something about sin. And one of the very unique things about the Lord Jesus, who's built this church, is that Jesus did die, but he got up. You can look at every other person in the history of the world. They're still in the grave. Name them. They're in the grave. Jesus got up out the grave. Uh, Christianity is not just another organized religion. And here's one of the ways that we know. Um, the way that Jesus approaches us could not be more different than how we approach stuff. So when we see that people are a mess and this stuff is hard, what do we do? We want to get away from it. I'm trying to go in the complete opposite direction. That's our natural inclination, and that's fine for us to do, but that's not what Jesus has done. Jesus did not look down and say, man, these people are a mess. Um, Father Spirit, how you feel about making another place? <laughs> we want to get away from it. 
that Jesus wasn't obligated to do anything. But out of his great love and grace, Jesus does the opposite of what we would do. Jesus doesn't just look down on us. Jesus came down to get us. Jesus wasn't just scared off by our mess. Jesus really came to be in his mess and to pay for our mess. When Jesus saw the way we spat in his face, Jesus didn't flee us. He pursued us, right? Jesus did not, try to, uh, uh, did not try to find a way to write us off. Jesus found a way to write our names in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus is the incredible Savior so that even in 1 John, when it's trying to teach us how to love, the example it brings up is Jesus. The example for love for us is not a handshake or a pat on the back. It's a bloody death. It's Jesus sacrificing himself. And here's the thing. It is hard for us to pursue God together, hard to deal with each other's mess. I want you to know Jesus confronted that mess head on. Jesus already defeated that mess and that sin so that we can become more like him together. Sin is the problem and Jesus has already solved it. Right, and we look forward to seeing it solved completely. If you're here, you don't know Jesus, I want you to know the main problem has already been solved by Jesus. And we're just waiting to see all the fruit of it. Right? I, I am not in perfect health. I'm in poor health, but I know I got perfect health on the way. Right? I don't have perfect relationships. None of us do, but we got perfect relationships on the way. We still have tears running down our eyes, but we got dry eyes on the way. Um, and while we used to be separated from God, the Lord Jesus paid for our sins. And we don't even have a perfect relationship with God yet because we're still sinful, but we got a perfect relationship on the way. We've already been given the perfect righteousness of Jesus, and it's one day when we'll actually look like him. That's really good news. So here's what I want to just close with. As we think about how this changes everything, how the death of Jesus changes everything, even in how we think about the church and organized religion. Sin is the problem. The gospel is the solution. Jesus has done something about it. Jesus is clear. He's doing something in his church. So what I want to say is even for those of us who are members of the church, been going to the church for a long time, we can still wrestle with doubts about the church. Let's be honest. Sometimes the church still feels like something we don't need. What I want us to do is to remind each other of these truths, right? When you look and you see terrible things that the church is used for, I want us to have the same discerning sight that Frederick Douglass has. Like, yes, it's been used for terrible things. The common denominator here is people, not Jesus, and not the people that Jesus has made. And we need to rethink how we think about the church. Sometimes we don't like the church because we have strange expectations for it. Let's think about what scripture has called us to and let's help each other. This is not an event we come to every week. This is not just people to high five each other. We are a family. We are fellow travelers towards Jesus. If you come here and people are sinners, so are you. And we, we are traveling towards Jesus together. But just because the church is a blessing, which it is, doesn't mean it's not going to feel burdensome sometimes. We want to help each other to walk through that. And here's another thing I'll say. When we're wrestling with doubt about God's people and whether or not we should invest in it like the Bible tells us to, let's talk about those doubts together. What we often want to do is to go off in a corner and just process it by ourselves until we talk ourselves 
into jumping off the cliff. And what I want to say is, look, our family is loving enough for us to talk through this stuff together. Let's wrestle through it together. This would be like a software engineer at a software company. And she's having a problem with something, and she's like, I'm not going to go to work for a few months. When instead she could ask her colleagues if they have any ideas, any thoughts, can you help me out with this scripture in the same way as calling us. Hey, when we're wrestling with doubt, even about God's church, let's wrestle with it together in the church. One of the reasons people think they can't wrestle with their doubts in the church is because no one wants to. No one ever speaks up about it. Let's follow Jesus in that way. Try not to pull away, but to run towards Jesus. Um, and often we, we don't need organized religion, we think, because we see it as useless. And I want to say the Lord Jesus has given you gifts that you can give to us as well. Let's not just look around wondering what we can get for ourselves. Let's also think about what Jesus has given us to give to and build up on us. You can't run to God and away from his people at the same time. And Jesus has made a very clear dinner invitation for all of his people. He's saying, you don't only relate to me one-on-one. No, you do, and you should. But we also have family dinner. And I don't mean just on Sundays. I mean we feast around God's word together. So let's build together. Let's be a family together. And let's not disrespect God by disrespecting his people. Let's not be dismissive of those he shed his blood for. Let's see his people the way he sees his people. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And we thank you so much for your word, how you've spoken to us. And we thank you for your people. Uh, Father, we pray that we would be loving to one another, that we would meet each other's needs, that we'd encourage each other, we'd teach each other, we would weep with each other, we'd rejoice with each other, uh, Father. God, we pray that um, you'd help us to see clearly the ways that we've strayed from you, Lord. And, Father, we pray you'd help us to find hope in what you've done for us. Thank you for paying it all, Father. Thank you for taking our condemnation for us. Help us to live uh, in the freedom you've given us, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, and freedom to walk in that freedom together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.